Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from Pastor Derek Dunn, lead pastor of Alive Church, Orange County. To find out more about Alive Church or Pastor Derek, please visit alivechurchoc.org or derekdunn.org. You can also follow us on your favorite social media platform at Alive Church OC or Derek Dunn OC. Someone say revival. revival. And revival is a word that we use a lot. Um, anytime we're always talking about revival, revival, revival. Sometimes we pray for revival. We don't know what revival is. You know, uh, Kenneth Hagin, the great uh, founder of the Word of Faith uh, movement um, that happened and really began to touch people in the 70s and the 80s, he said that most people pray for the Holy Spirit, but if the Holy Spirit walked down the center row of the church with a red hat on and a t-shirt that said Holy Spirit, they wouldn't recognize him. Now, he was a country bumpkin. He came out of the country, and so he had a way with words. But, but he kind of he painted a picture because sometimes what we're looking, we want God to come in our way. We want things to be in our tradition, in our box, and the way we want things to come. But God has a way of just messing that up. He came and, uh, and, and filled the people in the upper room. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, they went out of that place. And the thing that people thought when they saw them, they thought they were drunk. Well, it got real quiet here. I hope you're not on a, having a hangover this morning, but we'll pray for you. But they weren't drunk with wine. They weren't drunk with that, Peter said, were filled with the Holy Spirit. But there was something evident. There was life. There was vibrancy. There was passion. There was boldness. Inhibitions had been broken down over their lives. And when they looked at them, they're like, wow, these guys must be drunk, and it's only 12 o'clock. But they weren't drunk. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes in our life. What's he want to do? Set us free. Well, I'm not that way. I'm conservative. Well, maybe you are. or Maybe you're just bound up. And you need to get free. Sometimes we see people when they're young and they're so filled with their personality. When they get older, well, that's just how I am. No, life has made us that way. We sometimes can be burdened with the cares of life. We're, we're focusing on the deceitfulness of riches. And we're out there working, 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 just trying to get things that don't matter. Things that are going to break down. Are you here? It got real quiet here. Welcome to Orange County. And we're pursuing this. But what does it all matter? Come on, when you die, no one cares how much money you made. No one cares about the car you drove, the house you live on. What is it? The impact you made. You have so many people, you know, they're making money just to provide for their kids, but the kids want their time. They don't want just things. So we've got to put things in the right perspective, and we can be, you know, going after the American dream, and we're just caught up in the hustle and bustle of life, and we're like a hamster on that little wheel going round and round and round, <laughs> just getting tired out, and we forget what, what's the purpose of what we're doing. King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, people pay thousands of dollars to get in the room with wise people in the corporate world. They'll pay $5,000, $10,000 to learn wisdom, to learn the skills for something. But the wisest man that ever lived, he wrote a book and it's free. He said this, vanity is vanity. All is in vain except to love God and to keep his commandments. He's a man who had all the wealth in the world. He had all the prominence. People, rulers from around the world would come to him and give him money and gifts to hear from his wisdom. He had all the women. And he said it's all in vain. The meaning and the purpose of life is to, to seek God, to love God, to walk in his commandments. Amen? And we can learn something for that. We talk about revival, but what really is revival? Revival is not for the world. We've been talking about that. It's for us. It's for the church. Turn to your neighbor and say, revival's for you. 
Because we need to encounter God. We need to come back and fall in love with Jesus again. We need to come back and experience the reality of God. And we can get up, man, we like to put things in our little formulas. And, you know, we got a lot of organized, any organizational people out there, you know, you're the, the analytics that like to organize and over-organize things. I'm not talking about the OCD people. Come on, I'm talking about... You like to be organized, but we want to put everything into a system and bullet points, and here's the three ways and the four ways and all of that so we can comprehend it. But sometimes we're just having information. We're not having experience. And there's a difference between having knowledge, which is understanding, and having wisdom. What is wisdom? You experience. You got experience. How many know gray hairs give you experience? I've got some coming out. Oh, come on. Don't look at me. Some of you do too. But in my years, I've gotten wiser. In my years, I've got experience. Have I arrived yet? Nope. The more I know, the more I don't know. But with life and experience, I've experienced things. I, I can teach on marriage. Why? I've been married for 22 years. Come on. I, I, I can talk about business because I've been in business and ran business and, and successful businesses. And I've learned some things. Are you here? But just because I went to college and got my BA doesn't make me wise. And so when we talk about revival, it's not just an understanding. What is it? It's experiencing that life-giving encounter with God that changes our life, that transforms our life. The woman at the well went and met with Jesus, and, and revival came into her life. Revival's a person. And she went from that place, and Jesus said, go and sin no more. It helped her to have victory over her weaknesses. She went out and she began to turn her world upside down. A woman that was filled with shame. She was going to get well at the time when nobody gets water. Everybody would go in the morning to get water because at the desert at 1 o'clock, it's hot. We've been having a heat wave here in Southern California. You know, my, my daughter was going to go play pickleball the other day at 1 o'clock. I said, you are crazy. It's hot out there. You know, we, we go in the morning before the sun comes up to do all that labor. But she went later in the hot heat of the day. Why? Because she didn't want to see, be seen because she had shame. But she went out of that place. God healed her shame. She encountered the Lord. And she went out with boldness and began to talk to people. And people looked at her because of the transformation in her life. Because of revival that happened just with one man at a well. The whole city experienced the move of God. And God wants to revive his church. God wants to move in our life. God wants us to have a fresh encounter. And, and it's not about living off an encounter of last week. It's not about, you know, we're still kind of rising the high of our last Eve conference. We had a phenomenal conference. Come on. But, but don't just go through this high and, well, let's wait for the next conference. Pastor, when's the next conference? What's the next encounter meeting? When, when is the next, you know, power meeting? And we're just conference junkies running from conference to conference and we have all these highs and then we live low the rest of the time. No. Have an encounter that, that you live out of in your life. The kind of revival we long for, it, it doesn't fall on the casual Christian. It doesn't fall on the Christian that's not hungry. The Christian that's just like, well, I better show up in church just to make sure I'm still okay with God because I don't want to go to hell. Just do enough. Just coming to clock my time. It's about people that are pursuing God. It's about an uncompromised church that we walk in the reverence of God and we want God to have his way. You know, I hope you love our church. I hope you love me. But guess what? I'm more important, more concerned about whether God loves his church and what we're doing. Are we pleasing God? Because when I stand before God, he's not going to say, well, thank you for pleasing all the people. He's going to say, did you obey me? Were you faithful with what I gave to you? And we can have both. <laughs> Come on. I believe when we get like and precious people together, we're there. 
Are you here? But, but we're, 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 revival comes to a church that's not compromised. It comes to a church that, that's hungry for God. That say, We say, we want God and nothing less. It's not about, well, you shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. And we come, oh, my gosh, it's so difficult to be a Christian. No, it's like, I don't want all those things because I'm in pursuit of God. I want to encounter God. Come on, I got eyes for one woman. There might be some beautiful women and you, many beautiful women here in this place. Come on, let's give all the women a big hand. Come on, that was a great place for husbands. But guess what? I only got eyes for one. I'm invested in her. She's got tens of thousands of dollars on her ring, finger right now. Because she got an upgrade at, at 20 years that I promised her. Are you here? I'm invested. I have a home. I've got three children. I've got, I got, but what, what, it's not that I can't be, be, see something and admire something, but I'm invested. I'm focused on one woman. The Bible says choose to love the one you've chosen. Come on. And so we, we, that, that's a choice. That's a commitment. That's a covenant. And because you're invested, your attention is there. The same thing is true. The Bible says we're the bride of Christ. Even men were brides. Come on. And what do we have? We're living for one. As you read the Song of Solomon, it's a beautiful story of waiting for Jesus. Uh, for the return, and we're living for one because we know we're going to live and have eternity together and a life together. So we want to please God. So the things we can do, we don't want to do because we want God. Come on, I'm not going to settle for something second best. I'm trying to lose weight right now, and so I'm looking at my calories. So I look at the value of stuff. Someone said, do you want to have this? And I said, no, 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 no. I know how much the calories that is. It's not worth it. I'm saving my calories for something better. Are you here? And so, simple example, we do that in every area of life, but when it comes to God, what do we do? We're pursuing God, and when we do that, you get a taste for, for, for things that are healthy. The Bible says, taste and see the Lord is God. Good. When you, when you taste of God, you want God. You want more of God. You know, I, 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 I want God. I want a move of God. I've experienced moves of God. We travel around the world. We see God doing amazing things. But I want to move of God in Orange County. Why do we do what we do? Why do we live the way we live? Why do we give the way we give? We preach, we do what we do. Because we're in pursuit of someone. We're in pursuit of something. And it changes the way we live. It changes the way we worship. It changes the way we give. It changes the way we serve. We've got a posture for revival. We're not going to taste the fruit of revival if we don't have the root of revival. I'll say it again. We're not going to taste the fruit of revival if we don't have the root of revival. The tree has to go down to the ground. The roots have to be there before the fruit comes out. The root has to be right. Are you here? To have the fruit. You'll know the tree by its fruit, but you'll also know the tree by its root. And so we need to be rooted. What does that have to do with our heart, our posture? There's people that don't experience revival. There's people that died 30 years praying for revival. I grew up in a church, oh, revival, revival, revival. A lot of the people died never saw revival. Why? Because they didn't want to change and become a new wineskin. They didn't want to do new things. The old is better and let's keep doing the old thing. But it's insanity to think that you can do the same old thing and get a different result. We learn that in business. It's the same thing true in God. The way you're praying is getting a certain result. So what does the Bible said? 
have a new tongue. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Sometimes prayer comes out with groanings. Well, I don't, that might sound weird. Well, guess what? That's how you get your breakthrough. I'll groan it all night long if I have to to get a breakthrough. I don't care what people say. I don't care if I got snot in my nose and my eyes are bloodshed and, and, you know, and come on, my beard's growing out. I don't care. I just want Jesus. John came out of the wilderness with locusts and honey in his beard and saying, repent. But he had the word of the Lord and people, people were moved because he's a man that met with God. We got to have the root. To steward a revival, what does the root speak of? It's a heart. Out of the abundance or the root of our heart, our mouth flows. How do you know what's in your heart? What's coming out of your mouth? Are we blaming God? Are we blaming people? Are we just unhappy because we're in a place that's uncomfortable? Deal with the heart. Adjust the heart. And God's been speaking about that this morning. Very different than the first service. Why? Because we need to adjust. Because we don't adjust our heart. It, it, it determines how we see things. You know, if you're a negative person, you'll see something negative in everything. You, we know people like that. There's just no pleasing them. Pastor Troy and I were joking about, you know, he, he heard this restaurant was a high-end restaurant. And they had a list of ten people that are the difficult people. I hope I'm never on that list. Come on. But there's just no pleasing them. And so when that person comes in, only certain people can handle them. They don't give that table to the new trainee because she'll go away crying. Yeah. And, and, but people pride themselves on being difficult. Don't make things difficult for people. But what are they? They're just unhappy people who have money. And want to go there and have someone wait on them and treat them like a slave and just make things difficult. Come on, if you order the fried chicken, don't order the fried chicken. Say, I want fried chicken, but I don't want it fried. <laughs> are you here? Just because you want to be difficult because I got money. And I want to see if I can get my way. I got real quiet here this morning. Let's not be like that in the live church. But we're just unhappy. We see something, well, something's beautiful. Well, I don't like that. Nobody can do it as good as us. We're just, we're just unhappy people that like to make everyone else miserable. Come on, let's be happy people. Let's be, do we need to refine stuff? Are there things that we need to adjust? Yes, not everything's perfect. But talk about the good first. This was great. This is what you did good. Encouraged. But this is how you could have made it better. And we're always growing. It's encouraging. But don't just look at the negative and you throw out the whole baby with the bath while the water's dirty and throw out the baby. <laughs> Come on. Child services will be coming to your house. Are you here? Are you following me this morning? We've got to adjust the posture. Not being negative. Being, being hungry. If you're hungry, what do you do? I tell you, when my kids are hungry... I mean, they're opening the door, they're looking in the pantry, bags are flying, the refrigerator, all the air's coming like it's hot. Don't leave the refrigerator open so long. But they're in a pursuit for something that will satisfy their hunger. They're like, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. You just had breakfast. But they're in a pursuit. You heard me say this before, people will drive out in the middle of the night and go to the fast food places that are open that are the worst for you. Because they're hungry. And so they're looking for hungry jacks. Are you here? There's a pursuit. 
And so we, we need to have the right hunger. The, the, the examples we use, what are we pursuing? It's because of what we have an appetite for. It's because of what our root is. And we want revival, we've got to have the right root to have the fruit. We've got to have the right posture. This morning I want to talk to you on posturing for revival. What is our posture as we're pursuing God? We'll probably change gears next week, but we've been in this flow, and God's dealing with us. We've been talking about the fire and how we have the responsibility to fan our own fire. God's working in our life. People come up. We've had more counseling and people calling us and meetings. Why? God's working in people's life. And when that happens, we know it's not, not just one person. It's a season where God's causing stuff to come to the surface in marriages and businesses and attitudes. Thank you for those three grunts. God's working in us. Why? To prepare us. To get things in, in order to deal with the heart so that we have the right posture. So that blessing can flow. Come on, give the Lord a shout. It can be painful. It can be draining. But it's so beneficial. Are you here? And when the roots are going deep, you don't see fruit on the tree. When the roots are going deep, you don't see a lot happening. It's happening below ground. But as strong and deep as the roots are, come on, that tree can go up and produce fruit for 30 years because of its roots. I heard a preacher say one time, someone, a young preacher was saying, what must I do to get the anointing to, to grow in God? And he said this, just root yourself in the word, root yourself in prayer, root yourself in worship, and your roots will go so deep the tree will go high. Come on. What posture must we have? Number one, the posture for revival is a posture of desperation. Someone say desperation. desperation. How desperate are you for revival? Where's your pursuit level on a level of one to ten? If our pursuit for God is less than our pursuit for other things, he's not first and we'll never see it. He said, seek me first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your body. God wants to be first. God says, don't forsake the, the Sabbath. The, don't forsake the assembling together of the saints. Why? So you don't begin to put your root in the wrong thing. And I'm not saying we can't do other things, but is God first? God has a mind, what, second, third, and fourth? But is he first? And that produces a posture of desperation. I want God and I don't care. I'll give up a salary. I'll give up my benefits. I'll give up whatever it takes. If God says, you know, this is where the move of God is. When the cloud would move, they moved because they wanted the presence of God. There was protection. There was blessing. We don't really know, but I'm sure there's times some people got stayed behind. And what happened? The cloud moved, the camp moved, and the wolves came and they died. How do people get taken out? Because they allow themselves to get isolated. If you look at wolves, they never attack the sheep when they're all together. They attack the wandering sheep that goes over here, looking how far he can get away, how far he can he test God, and the wolves come. Are you here? We've got to be desperate for God. We've got to be pursuing God. Do we want a move of God in our life? Do we want a move of God in our family, in our children? Do we want a move of God in our church? Do we want a move of God in Orange County? Do we want to see America come back to its roots? Come on. 
it produces a, a cry of desperation. Why do we preach so hard? Why do we travel? Why do we give? Why do we serve? Because we want to be a part of a move of God. We're desperate for God. And there's no fire, as Pastor Robert taught last week, on the altar if there's no sacrifice. We don't have time to look at the whole story, but we look at Brian, blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. In verse 46 to verse 52. And what happened? Blind Bartimaeus heard about revival. There's a healer. There's a miracle worker. And when he walks into the room, sickness leaves. Demons manifest and flee. And he heard Jesus was coming his way. So what did he do? He got off of where he was at begging. In his negativity and victimization, he took off his robe that he was identifying with his problem. And he began to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus is walking. Here's, did someone call my name? The disciple says, we're busy, Jesus. Let's get to the meeting. Let's keep going. And he cries out all the more, Jesus, have mercy on me. There was desperation in his prayer, desperation in his cry. And everybody says, shh, be quiet. You're too radical, Bartimaeus. Come on, don't disturb Jesus. He's on his way. And the Bible says he called out, cried out all the more. He didn't stop. When there's a cry in your heart, when opposition comes, when people tell you, people told us, oh, if you pray in tongues, you can't have a church in Orange County. Nobody will show up. You, you won't last three years. Well, we just celebrated 10 years, and we're moving on till 20. Come on. Come on. You can't do this. You got, you got to do this this way. And then you do that, you'll have thousands of people. I don't want thousands of dead people. Are you here? I'm not trying to tr- create a country club. We got country clubs here. I go to them. I play golf. That's not what the church is. The church is an army. The church is a family. The church is a place where Jesus is ahead. What Jesus wants to do, we do it. If he doesn't want to do it, we don't do it. Are you here? And we're not the only church that's spirit-filled. But what does it mean spirit-filled? It's we allow God to be God. We believe that all 66 books of the Bible are for today. We believe Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does the same thing he did in the book of Acts. He does it now. And we see it. We see people healed. We've seen miracles. We see lives transformed, marriages transformed. He's, He's still doing the same. And we shouldn't be surprised. And people say, well, I don't believe that's for today. That passed away with the apostles. No wonder you got no power in your church because you don't believe it. Whatever you don't believe won't work for you. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews says. You must believe God's a rewarder, a rewarder of what? Your faith. And you must diligently seek him. And then we'll see it happening. We've got to have desperation. He cried out with blind desperation. Jesus took notice of him, and a miracle happened. There was a woman with the issue of blood that was desperate. She kept saying in her heart, if I just touch the hem of his garment, if I just touch his hem, and she pushed through the crowd. She pushed through her cultural barriers because a woman should not touch a man. Jesus, whoa, what was that? The disciples said, what are you talking about? He said, who touched me? He said, Jesus, you're in a crowded place. Tons of people touch you. No, 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 there's one woman who touched me with faith, and virtue came out. And the woman said, it was me. I'm so sorry I touched you. 
He said, your faith has made you healed. Your faith can move God. Your faith for revival can, can bring a turnaround in the darkest situation. Can bring a turnaround when your children seem to be lost and there's no hope and everyone's getting up, uh, giving up on them. But God, in your business situation, come on, when you're pursuing God and God, you're my senior partner and God, I want to see a move in my business so that I can be that, that person that can fund your kingdom and, and you come into kingdom that God will move through our faith. How desperate are we for a move of God? Are we willing to give? Are we willing to serve? Are we willing to pray? Someone was telling me before service at 9 a.m. said, you know, they, they, they got woke up every hour on the hour last night to pray. And are they willing to, are we willing to pray, be inconvenienced? I've had times, thank God he let me sleep because he knew I had to preach today. But when God's moving us, are we willing to respond? Here I am, Lord, I'll pray. I'll grab hold of the, the altars in your presence and begin to call those things that are not, although they were, and begin to prophesy to the dead bones. There's a labor, but our labor is not in vain. It produces a revival. Come on, give the Lord a shout. Amen. We, oh, come on, you can do better than that. Come on. We have to have a posture of desperation. Number two, what is the root? What is the posture for revival? we got to have a posture of discipline. Thank you for those three grunts on the front row. Discipline. Someone say discipline. discipline. That's where we get the word disciple. And we've talked about you've got to be disciplined. We look at Daniel. Daniel was a man of discipline. He was a man of prayer. He was a man who, who honored God. And so what happened? There was food that was offered up to idols. And so Daniel said, we're not going to eat of the food uh, that's offered to idols. We're going to be vegetarians. I got no amens on that. Any other carnivores out there? You know, I, I, heard, I saw a, a post on Instagram and it said this. If you're a vegan, a vegetarian, you live usually an average of nine years more than other people. Because it's a healthier lifestyle. And then it went on to say it's nine miserable years where you never get to eat bacon. Come on. I like my, come on. We need our meat and our vegetables. All right? But because, because he was rooted in God, because he, he chose not to be associated with idolatry, he, he begins to discipline his life, and he becomes the governor. And we know the story that some of the wicked men, they don't like Daniel because he doesn't meet the status quo. And so they come up with a law and say, you know, king, you have this God, and we want to make a law that everyone needs to follow you as the king. And if anyone prays or bows down to any other idols or any other gods, that they will have to, you know, they will, they'll be put to death. So they stroke the king's ego and he comes up with this law forgetting that Daniel was a, was a Hebrew. And so Daniel, what does it say? He had a discipline. He prayed three times a day. In Daniel chapter 6 verse 10 it says this. It says that Daniel heard about the law but when he returned home he went upstairs and he prayed in the closet in a soundproof room. He prayed in the front of the window that faced Jerusalem and he prayed for the city. 
It says this, and in the same way that he'd always done, he knelt down in prayer. In the same way that he'd always done. It was his habit. It was his discipline. And it didn't matter the pressure. It didn't matter what's going on. We have a discipline. If you want revival, you got to be disciplined. You want revival in your finances, you got to keep giving. It's hard. It's difficult. There's inflation. I get it. I experience it too. But the Bible says that's why we sow in tears and we reap in joy. Are you here? Sometimes it's hard. But what does it come down to? Do we trust God? That God gives seed to the sower. That we're in covenant with God. Some of us, we're not blessed in our finances because we're robbing God. When is this ever going to change? I'm so tired, Pastor. First question, are you tithing? No, it ain't going to change. Don't get upset with me. It's the Bible. Well, God is good and gracious. Yes, your shoes aren't wearing out. You're still surviving, but you're in the wilderness. You're not going to be in the promised land. That's the word of God. Discipline isn't fun. And we look at people that discipline, we despise them sometimes. Eating my, drinking my venti coffee and my preservative-filled sausage egg biscuit. And you... Driving down the road and you see that guy sweating with an eight-pack just looking at you. So get behind me, Satan. Come on. Talk to people. They're healthy and they're always disciplined in what they eat. And I'm like, you just want to buy a Dairy Queen blizzard and put it in front of them. But they're so disciplined. They're disciplined, they're eating. They're disciplined, they're exercise. They can be exhausted. You're like, I'm so tired, we're taking a break. I'm going home to sleep. God gives his beloved sweet sleep. We even spiritualize our lack of discipline sometimes. And where are you going? I'm going to the gym because I'm disciplined. And we resent that because I pray, because I read the Bible, because I show up for church, because I do the disciplines and we get upset with people like that. Oh, they're too fanatical. They're too spiritual. You gotta have balance in your life. Well, who determines the balance? Are you here? And discipline's different for everyone. Come on. Some of us we need to eat more to put on bulk up. Some of us we need to eat less. Any others like that in the club? Come on. Monday I'm gonna go on my discipline. Why? I've been traveling and eating and I've been to Brazil and Asia and the food is amazing and they feed you after the meetings when you're not supposed to eat. So I got to get into some discipline. But the, the, until the pain of change outweighs the pain of remaining the same, you won't change. And unfortunately, sometimes we have to hit bottom. Sometimes to get the place. God, I can't do anymore. I can't do this. God says, finally, now will you do my plan? And God is gracious there. He says, prove him. Now, if we walk and we were willing and obedient, we'll eat the good of the land. It's not enough just to be disciplined and obedient. We got to be willing. It's our heart. We can do the right things. Well, I'm doing I'm serving, but we do it gruntily. You're not going to be blessed. When you're willing, what? Your heart enjoys it. And sometimes you got to do it first. Come on. When you start being disciplined, you start dreaming. You're dreaming of pepperoni pizza every night. All your, you, ha, you start smelling, sweet-smelling aroma of fresh bread. And you're supposed to be cutting your carbs. Come on. Oh, come on. How many of you are here this morning? 
But when you start eating healthy, you don't get a taste for the things that aren't healthy anymore. Discipline. Daniel was disciplined. He, when he was under attack, we, he fell back to his discipline. What are our disciplines? When we're under attack, when there's pressure, what do we fall back to? Our daily discipline of prayer, of reading the word, of obeying the word, it lasts longer than the high of a conference. It lasts longer than the high of a prophecy that we received. And it builds a relationship with Jesus in our life. Our relationship with Jesus is based not on a conference. It's based on our discipline of pursuing Him. Are you here? If we allow our emotions to lead you, you won't read your Bible. You won't give. If you allow your emotions to lead you, you won't show up for church. Your 9 o'clock service, we had a big turnout. Church is growing. And, seats are, and I'm thinking, this morning I got up, I'm like, well, I don't know if people are going to show up. Why? We can't see the sun. I was on the way to church and picked up Samuel, and he's like, what is this? Why is this like this? We can't see the sun. I said, it's called fog. <laughs> we don't get it a lot in Orange County, but <laughs> come on. And what happens? It makes you a little lethargic. It makes you a little, you know, people, oh, today it's raining. Come on, it's raining. It's worse. I feel the Lord telling me to stay in bed this morning. Amen. <laughs> to support the online broadcast. Amen. <laughs> and we start... That's the flesh. Are you here? Come on, I'm the preacher and I feel that way. That's the flesh. But, but what do we do? We go back to our disciplines. Our relationship with God is, is based on discipline. My relationship with wife is discipline. Faithfulness to one woman. Showing up for dinner. Doing life together. That's why the Bible says you've forsaken your lost love. Go back and do the first things. The first what? The disciplines. When I was trying to pursue her, guess what? I'd get up on Monday and plan something, even though it was my day off, and I wanted to sleep in. Why? I didn't want anyone else calling her up. Come on. I'm going to pursue her. You know, some guys, well, I asked her, she doesn't like me. It don't matter if you like me or not. I'm going to pursue you. You're going to like me. Come on. I'm not talking about stalking. All right. Don't. Some of you are like, I better qualify in this day and age. But what? Come on. But there's a confidence there. I'm going to woo your heart. I've seen the turkeys that you're looking at. Come on. There's a confidence. That, but there's a discipline. There's a pursuit. But when you get married, don't stop dating and pursuing your wife. And all the women said? As a woman, don't stop looking pretty for your husband. Come on. Both ways. Well, he just loves me like I am. Yeah, come on. Amy Semple McPherson said, any barn needs some paint. Put some makeup on. Look pretty. Are you? And I just, I'm going to get in trouble. I'll get some emails for that one. But come on. Do your be- Look beautiful for each other. For a man, too. I want to look good. Why? I want to be sexy for my wife. Some of y'all just backslidden just now. Like, hey, you say that in church? Yes. For your wife. All right, all you singles, eat your heart out. Find someone, pursue them, get in the covenant. Are you here? Are you here? Pursue. Amen. Look good. I want to I look good for God. Because I represent God. 
I want to be healthy and serve God. I want to die before my time. There's preachers that died because they didn't take care of their bodies. They weren't disciplined. Had great anointings. Jack Coe had the biggest tent, bigger than Oral Roberts. Signs and wonders. But he didn't take care of his body and he had a heart attack and died. It was the devil. It wasn't the devil. It was eating every night. Bad food. Come on, are you here? I don't want to even go there. I'm trying to move on. Help me. Discipline. And when we discipline, what happens? It comes out in our life. Because we spent time with God, when we lead worship, there's a touch on it. There's an anointing. When we pray, I've known people, they're quiet. They're more the introvert. They're not the one taking the mic all the time. And all of a sudden, they got the mic, and it's like, boom. And I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? Because they pray. Those that blow their horn all the time usually aren't the ones that have it. If you got it, you got it. And you don't care. Pastor Troy, we were talking. We went to, you know, Bible college. And all those who were the most likely to succeed, blowing their horn, always trying to get close to the leaders, always, you know, they're doing nothing today. Most of them. And we were working, serving, ushering, doing what we need to do, trying to pay the bills, trying to pay our tuition and not doing all of that stuff, not playing around. We were serious and focused, but we weren't on the radar. And now it's like, oh, we always knew, Troy, you were going to succeed. We always knew. Why? Because what you do in secret is rewarded publicly. Your disciplines will be public. Your spiritual disciplines will bring fruit in your life. Why are they? You ever met somebody and, you know, you look like, how did that guy ever end up with that woman? Because he was disciplined. Because he pursued. Because he was trustworthy. Come on. He married above himself like Troy. Amen. <laughs> Like Dwayne. Come on, like me. Come on. Because we learned something. Are you here? Number three, we got to have the posture of gratitude. Someone say gratitude. Jesus, he came to Bethany and Lazarus was there. He'd been dead. He'd risen him from the dead and they're having a supper. And Mary comes, and we know the story, but we set the scene for the story. And Mary comes, and she takes what was probably a year's salary. It was the alabaster flask, a beautiful flask with priceless perfume inside. And that would probably have been given. It would have secured her a wealthy husband. And she takes it, and she breaks it. It could only be used once. And she pours it on the feet of Jesus. She takes his her hair and cleans his feet and kisses his feet. We think, wow, it's so extreme. Is that something that Jesus was requiring? No, it came out of gratitude. Not out of obligation. Not out of commandment. But out of love and a gratitude. God so loved the world that he gave. Because he loved us, we can love him. And love is that, that thing that inspires us. But what keeps love alive? Gratitude. When we start taking things for granted, what happens? We stop being grateful, things begin to break down. In a marriage, we used to be grateful. We say thankful. Your wife cooked for you the first time, and even though it was a little charcoal, you're like, thanks, babe. Thanks for cooking to me. But now she's gotten better. Now she's, and what happens? She come and it's like, this is a little cold. We become ungrateful. We become, it's expecting, well, they're my wife, they have to do it. No, learn to say thank you. Are you here? 
And so what do we do? We come and, you know, our husband, we got our honeydew list, and he hasn't done number one for three months. And rather than saying, honey, you're working hard at work. I know you're tired, but this is really irritating me. I'd really appreciate if you could get this done. I'd really be thankful if you did that. We're like, you don't listen to me, and rah, 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 and this has been here for three months, and rah, 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 and guess what he does? His heart shuts off. So I ain't, that, that faucet's going to be dripping until Jesus comes back. Come on. <laughs> but if we learn to be thankful, I don't know about you, but I love, if my kids come to me with an entitlement, and I've got good kids, and they don't really struggle with this so much, but every kid is in a process at times, but, you know, they come and they're entitled, like, Mom, I want this, and you're my mom, and you have to pay for it. We tell our kids, eating at home is a right and going out is a privilege. You see, kids go, not grateful for anything. And what happened? It makes you want, not want to do stuff. I've got people, I bought presents for them. And they're like, they take the present and they throw it on the pile. Thanks. Next year, they ain't getting a present from me. Come on, God's still working on me. Amen. <laughs> but when you give someone something and they're appreciative. You know, I always try to say thank you. Last, yesterday, Melody, you know, God knew I'm going on a diet, so Melody bought us this cake. I don't know what it was, amazing cake. It was like heaven, a taste of heaven. And she didn't even know. We, we were there, and we had staff pictures. We took our Christmas photo, and she's like, oh, I got this cake for you. Are you going home? And gave us this cake, and we just put it in the refrigerator and ate last night. And I'm like, I need something because I know I'm preparing for the battle. I'm like, come on. And, we, and, we, and, I was, and I sent a text. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Thank you. I never take kindness for granted. But guess what? When you're grateful, people want to do more. When my kids come and, Mom, you're so amazing. Or, Dad, you're so great. Thank you. You're being just good parents. I'm like, what do you want? What do you need? When they look at something, oh, you know, I'd love that. But, yeah, it's a little bit too expensive. No problem. Because we love to put smiles on their faces and, and they're appreciative for things. But when someone's not grateful, you don't want to be generous. We need to have gratitude. Social media, many times, it creates a spirit of competition. And we look at that life. We look at the Orange County Housewives. We look at people and we look at that and we're comparing and all this kind of stuff. And what happened? We stop taking for granted what we have. And most of that stuff ain't real anyway. It's airbrushed. It's photoshopped. I saw somebody makes money from having a private plane that doesn't even fly, and people get on there and take pictures to be successful. And they're advertising. I'm thinking to myself, nobody's going to want to know who your past clients are. Come on. That's called bra Because you're putting this image out there, but it's not real. An image of success is not real. Are you here? We need to be grateful for what we have, and God will give us more. David had a perspective. He was grateful to God. I'd like the musicians to come. We need to have a posture, if we want revival, of desperation. How desperate are we for a move of God? Have a posture of discipline. What are the things that we need to do to grow in our spirituality, to grow in our pursuit of God, to, to, to build the spiritual strength? Disciplines like prayer, the Word, meeting together. Serving. This is where we grow. I call it the boring basics. We all, I want a double portion anointing. I'm going to fly and let the man of God lay hands on me. And he lay hands on you. You fall on the floor and the anointing lifts off of you because you got no capacity to contain it. 
How does it come from serving? How did I get where I'm at? Not because of myself, because people poured on me, because I was faithful in other people's ministries and other people's lives. And because I served and was faithful, God gave me my own. And I'm a result, there's four main people that sowed into me that have helped me to be who I am. But I served, I was grateful, and I honor them to this day. We've got to have a, a posture of gratitude. Finally, number four, we've got to have a posture of humility. Someone say humility. David sinned. He wasn't a perfect man, but in the midst of his sin, he committed adultery. He got a woman pregnant. He then killed her husband. I mean, that's like a bad soap opera. But what does he say? He cried out to God and said, God, against you only have I sinned. And he humbled himself. He said, God, whatever the penalty is, God, whatever you want to do, take my kingdom, take anything away from me. But don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take your presence from me. He was humble. He humbled himself. And because of that, God did a revival in his life. Repentance marks every revival. You look historically, there's always repentance. We look at the Brownsville revival, it started in repentance. You look at the Welsh revival, it started in repentance. You look all throughout history of people coming, encountering the presence of God, and God saying, God, we just want your presence. Forgive us for the areas of our life. And it doesn't have to be you're committing adultery. It doesn't have to be these sins that we look are big sins. What is it? Areas where we put things, people, of God and as we humble ourselves because God is holy everyone comes and he's our daddy God he's my daddy God but guess what a daddy still disciplines us because he's more interested in our character the Bible says you spare the rod you spoil your child the Bible says God chastens those that he loves I, I know I'm loved very much because I've experienced the chastening of the Lord why to work in my life God is holy, and if we want to encounter Him, we've got to get rid of the things in our life that are taking the place of God. Come on, let's stand on our feet right now. Leviticus 6 verse 23 says, The fire on the altar must kept, be kept burning. It must not go out. How do we keep the fire burning? We've learned about this, but inwardly, it's our posture of desperation. It's our posture of discipline. It's a posture of gratitude. It's a posture of humility, and those are the ones the Bible says if you humble yourself in the sight of God, He will lift you up. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Are you here? Amen. Come on, lift your hands. How many of you want to have a posture for revival? Come on, let's begin to just cry out to God. I think God's moving in this place this morning in our hearts. He's moving, putting His finger on things. Look at me just a moment. Sometimes we can, our life is like, a house and there's different rooms in our house and, and we can have God feeling a house so we can have maybe an area of our life that we're prospering the blessing of God that we think we're okay with God but there's other areas we have the key we've locked it up God don't touch this area don't don't talk to me about finances don't talk to me about my addiction don't talk to me about my marriage don't talk to me about serving but the other areas, we allow God to have access to it. But if we want all of God, we want a move of God, what do we have to do? You know, you watch those movies and they have the movies and there's always one room that's locked and there's something weird that happened. 
We need to unlock the door, open the door, give God the key and say, God, take all of me. God, you have access to every area of my life. Come on. I'm fully surrendered to you. Come on. And as we do that, as we place our life upon the altar, what happens? The fire of God, the fire revival will come down upon our life. Last year at week, Pastor Robert talked. What's the process? Taking up your cross, doing the difficult things, following him. And as we do that, we begin to come into the power of the resurrection that comes from that place. Come on, lift up your hands. Come on. God, give us the right posture in a live church. God, those watching online. God, we say we just want you, God. We're desperate for you. God, we taste of your goodness, and God, we want more. We're not satisfied with what you did last week. We're not satisfied with just what you did today or yesterday. God, we want more in our life, God. We want to develop the discipline so that we can carry your presence, that we can walk in your authority, that we can counter you, that, God, you're in us and you work through us. God, we come and we're grateful for what you've done. We're grateful for our family. We're grateful for all that we have. But, God, it means nothing in compared to you. We humble ourselves before you, God. We say forgive us of our pride. Forgive us of holding back. Forgive us of not being fully committed. Forgive us of the areas we've not given you full access. And, God, we say that we give you full access today in the name of Jesus to our lives. In the name of Jesus.